you this morning that uh, as I have transitioned from being a child to being an adult and then to a father, uh, I find that Christmas and birthdays and things like that are less and less about the gifts that I receive like they were when I was a kid and more and more about the gifts that I get to give because I love that experience of seeing my kids and their enthusiasm for the gifts that uh, I'm able to give them at Christmas or birthday or wherever it may be. So I thought this morning I would share with you uh, quickly one of the favorite gifts that I've ever been able to give at Christmas. This past Christmas, my five-year-old son said, I would like a remote control helicopter or monster truck. Either one would be great. And so went and did a little bit of research. You know, helicopter research is pretty simple. It doesn't require footnotes or anything. Let's go to Amazon. And uh, we got him, you know, I got him this little remote control helicopter, right? That he can fly around. I know you're jealous because I'm up here flying a helicopter. Okay. So uh, try not to crash it. Okay. So I was able to get him this little helicopter and, uh, you know, I bought it and I ordered it. And then I was talking to a friend who has a little bit more experience with these things. And he said, you know, uh, you probably better test it before he opens it up on Christmas morning just to make sure it works. And I thought that sounds like a great idea. So uh, I opened it up and I tested it and it worked fine. But then I thought, I don't want him to fly this around alone, right? I don't want him to have to fly it by himself. So uh, I bought one for me as well uh, after I tested it. And uh, I I will tell you this, that I had a great time uh, thinking about and buying and planning this purchase. But I really have to tell you, the reason I loved this gift was not simply because it was fun to play with. It was not simply because I thought it was cool. But here's why. When he opened it up on Christmas morning and he saw that he had received this this little helicopter, he ran and with the most spontaneous gesture of gratitude, just wrapped his arms around me and said, thank you, daddy. And then we opened it up and we played with both of the helicopters together. And what I loved about that experience was his gratitude and the opportunity to spend time with him doing something that he enjoyed. And parents, most of you know that as you grow, your primary joys at those occasions come more from what you give. Because most parents love to give good gifts to their kids. Most of us take great delight in giving good gifts. But I remember also from the kid's side of things that sometimes it's hard to trust that you're going to get the gifts that you want. So I remember as a kid that uh, you would worry, uh, are mom and dad going to get me those Legos that I asked for, or that spaceship or that helicopter or whatever it did, and that uh, my parents are here, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but you know, we used to go and try to look under their bed or in the closet to figure out if we had actually gotten the presents, right? And it was hard to trust that we were going to get them. And sometimes, in fact, we didn't get everything we asked for. Uh, Sometimes there may have been a reason why a particular gift was either not safe or age-appropriate, right? So when you're seven, you may not get that moped you really want because your parents say, I can't trust you yet with that. Or sometimes parents might give things like socks and underwear, and you, you just probably remember the crushing disappointment that that was when you got practical gifts instead of fun gifts because your parents knew uh, that there was a bigger picture sometimes. That giving gifts wasn't always just about what you wanted, but maybe even sometimes about what you needed. But it's hard to trust when you are in the position of the child because you don't always understand all of those things. You know what you want and you expect what you want and you hope that that's what you get. 
And as we continue in this series, and we finish this series this morning talking about our relationship with God as our Heavenly Father, there's a very, very clear parallel in the Scripture between how we relate to God as our Heavenly Father and how we relate to our mom and dad as our human parents. And it is this, that just like most human parents want to give good things to their kids, so does our Heavenly Father. That is His primary disposition toward us, is to give us what is good. And particularly to give us those things that allow Him to know us and us to know Him, that allow us to understand who He is. He loves to give us things we need and things we desire. That is who He is. He's a generous God. But just like when we were kids, it's hard for us to trust him. Because all too often, we find that we ask for things and we don't get what we ask for. Or we even find that there are circumstances that enter into our lives that are unpleasant or negative or painful. And so in the midst of those types of circumstances, we find it hard to trust that we have a good and generous God. And yet the scripture says it over and over and over again, that we have a good and generous heavenly father who loves to give, who loves to give without reproach, generously and freely. It is the nature of God. And so what we're going to wrap up this series on this morning is the idea that we have a God who loves to provide for his people and who calls us to trust him, even when we don't understand why we have not received everything we want right now. And we'll talk certainly about some of the reasons why we might not get everything that we want. Because remember, we talked last week about the discipline of God. One of the things that we said is that it's not always in the best interest of a child to give them everything they ask for, is it? And what the scripture will call us to do is trust that we have a father who always gives what is best, who loves to give what is good and delightful. Uh, We're going to look at a number of passages this morning, but the primary one we'll be in is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, and I'm going to read those verses this morning as we begin. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Beginning in verse 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So the first principle that we see in the scripture is simply this, that God loves to give good gifts. Jesus says that God is like a father, and he says, fathers, when your son asks you for a loaf of bread, you don't give him a rock and then laugh at him. If he asks you for a fish to eat, you don't give him a snake and then chuckle when he's bitten. That would be a terrible father. I love how Jesus is not concerned here at all with impressing his audience or getting them to like him. He goes, if you guys, being evil, know how to give good stuff to your kids, how much more does God? In other words, you guys are, you're pretty bad, right? If you evil slime balls even know how to give good stuff to your kids, then how much more will God? Because you, being evil, are selfish. You are prideful. You are greedy. You like things to be arranged around you. But you even know how to give good gifts to your kid. If you're like that, how much more does God want to give good gifts to his people? 
God's disposition toward us is a giver, is that of a giver. He wants to open his hands and give good gifts. In fact, James chapter 1 says it this way, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James is writing this in the context of talking to people who were who were inclined to say, when I am tempted and when evil enters my life and when bad things happen, uh, that is God's fault. And James says, no, God does not commit evil. God does not tempt anyone to evil. But what God does is he gives good gifts. If you have something good in your life, it's because God gave it to you. And one of our key beliefs, particularly in American culture is to believe that we are self-made, right? I made myself, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Have you ever actually tried to do that, right? You can't lift yourself off the ground by your bootstraps, can you? But we believe we have made ourselves, but the scripture says you have not. You say, well, I worked hard for everything I have, and the scripture would say, who gave you the body and the mind to allow you to work hard? Who gave you the life that allows you to get up every morning and go to work? Who gave you the family who taught you how to work? Who gave you the home that keeps you safe from what's outside? Who gave you every good thing that you have? That's God. And so God's primary disposition is as a giver. So that when discipline and suffering and sin and death come into our lives, those do not primarily originate from God. Instead, those originate as a consequence of sin. You think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God placed them in a perfect environment with perfect fellowship with him. And he gave them this garden to tend. But he said, look, look at all the trees in the garden and you may eat freely. Literally in the Hebrew, eat, eat, take from every tree and eat it except that one you eat from that one tree, there will be consequences. Of course, you know the story. Adam and Eve ate from that one tree, and sin and death and suffering entered the world, not because that's what God wanted, but because that was the consequence of sin. God judges, but only as a last resort. What God wants to do is give those things that are good. I remember some time ago at home, we were having one of those days like often happens, or sometimes happens maybe when you're a parent, and that is one of those days when the kids just won't seem to obey, right? They argue with each other, they argue with you, they push back against everything you ask them to do, and it's a frustrating, stressful day, and you begin to think as a parent, where have I gone wrong? What has happened? And you get to the end of that day, and you're exhausted, and we were having one of those days, and I remember my wife, Shannon, finally saying, I am a really nice person! And if you do what is right, you will experience good things, right? I want to give you good things. I want to laugh and snuggle and give you gifts and do all of those good things. But when you are disobedient, I have to be mean, mommy. But I'm really this nice person, right? See, the truth is that children are really, they're a stiff-necked people, aren't they? And they push back at every turn. And so when discipline and judgment comes upon them, It's often to train and shape them, and it's often punishment because it's the consequence of sin. God loves to give good gifts. He judges when he has to. And his primary disposition toward us is a father who wants to give what is good. Think about his relationship with the nation of Israel. 
He called them to himself. He led them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He promised them a land, a land where they could have more than they needed, where they can live in peace from their enemies. And he said, if you will follow me, I'll give and I'll give and I'll give, but if you disobey, and we talked about this last week, you'll experience the consequences of your sin. But above all, God wanted to give. He wanted them to have what was best. Now, this concept is going to be a bit revolutionary for some of you if you're accustomed to thinking of God primarily as a punisher or a judger. If you're accustomed to primarily, maybe because of your own family background, if you're accustomed to thinking of God as somebody who's standing there just waiting to send down bolts of pain and suffering and death, this can change the way you think about God. To recognize He is a good God who first and foremost wants to give good gifts. And we struggle to trust that. I think sometimes, perhaps because we think we deserve what we don't really deserve, because we underestimate our own sinfulness and rebellion so that when sin, or so that when suffering and pain comes into our life, when temptation or evil comes in, we blame God. Instead of recognizing our sin, instead of recognizing perhaps that we live in a fallen world, I think we fail to trust God sometimes in this area also because we forget the gospel itself. We forget that God has given us the greatest thing he could give. That even though we sin against him, even though we deserve eternal death, God gave his only son, Jesus, to die in our place. And he rose again so we can have a restored relationship with him and eternal life. If you're tempted to question the giving character of God, go back to the good news. Because all questions of God's goodness are answered at the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. He loves to give good gifts. And what's more, he wants to give those gifts in a way that cultivates a relationship with you and me, which is why God not only loves to give good gifts, but he also loves to be asked for them. He loves to be asked for them. Back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus actually tells his listeners, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. In the Greek, those are present verbs. And present tense verbs often have an ongoing sense in the Greek language. The idea is, keep asking, keep seeking, Keep knocking. Do this on an ongoing basis and it will be open to you. And Jesus says, God is a father who loves to give and he loves to be asked. James chapter 4 says something very similar about God. James 4, 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. The scripture says, God is a God who is generous and good. In fact, James chapter 1 will say, If anybody lacks wisdom, ask of God and he will give generously and without reproach. Ryan mentioned that earlier during the worship set that the scripture tells us God loves to give and he loves to be asked. When I was in college, I had a friend who briefly worked for uh, former President Bush, the first President Bush. 
and he did a variety of things from running errands to helping them wrap presents to all these different things. And uh, we were talking one day to him and we said, do you think if you asked, you could get President Bush to come to our apartment for macaroni and cheese for dinner? And he said, you know, he's a pretty humble guy. He might say yes to that. And we said, well, then ask. And he said, no, I, I don't feel comfortable asking that. We're like, but, but what if he says yes? Then we'd have the story to beat all stories, right? That we had the president come into our apartment and he, he never would really ask. We said, what's the worst that could happen? Right? He could say no, right? Maybe he could fire you, but that's no skin off our nose, right? So why don't you, why don't you ask? You do not have because you do not ask. Who knows what would happen? Now, probably wisely, he chose not to ask, not knowing how that would go. But here's the good news. God is a father that doesn't fire you for asking and never will. There is no request that he doesn't want to hear us ask, even if the answer is ultimately no. Because God wants us to learn to depend on him. More than he cares about what we receive or don't receive, he cares about knowing us. Again, parents, all of you who have watched a child grow have experienced those moments where you watch a child trying to do something that they cannot yet do. This especially happens in the toddler years, two, three, four, when their favorite phrase is, I do it myself. And you watch them do things that are perhaps uh, beginning to be dangerous and you think, why doesn't he or she ask for help? Now, there may be a variety of reasons why they aren't asking for help. Why is that child trying to turn on the stove and make an omelet, right, without mom and dad? It's not age appropriate. They don't know how. Why don't they ask for help? Right, it may be they're learning independence with some of these things, but it may be because we're human, they have learned not to ask. Maybe when they've asked, we've become frustrated, angry, disgruntled. But unlike human parents, that's not how God responds. The scripture says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, the reality is that sometimes we do ask and we don't get what we ask for. And that's a dilemma. Why? Well, there may be a variety of reasons for that. Uh, James gives us one. It may be because you ask with selfish motives. I think one of the, the greatest theological lies of our culture is prosperity theology that says, if I ask God for a million dollars, he will give. And if I just keep asking, eventually God will give all of these material blessings and financial resources because God wants me to be wealthy or comfortable or whatever it may be. That is asking with selfish motives that I may spend it on my pleasures. And James says that is not the prayer that God is inclined to to answer. So sometimes we don't get because we ask with the wrong motives. Sometimes we don't get because there is sin in our lives that has separated us from a fellowship with God. And remember, God is more concerned with our relationship with him than with what we get. So in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, God says to the nation of Israel, when you lift up your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Why does he do that? He says, because you have blood on your hands. You have allowed the needy to go hungry. You have walked by people in need. You have allowed people to die that you could have helped. He says, seek justice, do mercy, know God. And then he answers. God is more concerned with our character than he is with what we get. Sometimes he doesn't answer and we simply don't know why. Sometimes there are mysteries 
hidden in the will of God that we just don't understand. And as you read through the scripture, you'll find that that's not just us. Great men and women of God at times experienced unanswered prayer, even the Apostle Paul, even Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet the scripture says, continue, continue, persist in prayer, keep asking, keep asking. I was reading a biography of George Mueller a while back. George Mueller was a great missionary and founder of orphanages in Bristol, England. And one of the things that will strike you if you read about the life of George Mueller is that the man's prayer life was exceptional. I remember one story about his life in which he was on a ship crossing the ocean from England to go over to Canada so he could speak in Quebec. And as they were in the ocean, a a fog descended on the ship and the captain said, we're going to have to slow down and take it slow for a few days and we're going to be late to where we're headed. And Mueller realized that that was going to make him miss the speaking engagement that he had planned in Quebec. And he went to the captain and he said, you've got to get there on time. The captain said, I'm not going to endanger those on this boat to get there on time. You'll just have to miss your speaking engagement. Mueller said, I've never missed a speaking engagement and I don't plan to now when I sense God has called me to it. So he went down below deck. The captain followed him and he prayed that the fog would lift. And when he finished praying, apparently the captain began to pray as well. And Mueller looked at him and said something to this effect. He said, don't. First of all, because you don't really believe it's going to happen. And secondly, because the fog has already lifted. And they went up on the deck and the fog had lifted. Right? And I read that story and it's this unbelievable story. And frankly, I read it and I go, what in the world is going on? Because that was not atypical of this man's relationship with God. And all I can conclude is that he began to understand things about the will of God that I don't yet get. That a lifetime of wrestling with God in prayer, that a lifetime of persistence taught him the types of prayers that God answers so that he could pray with boldness and confidence. And what happened over time is that Mueller himself in his walk with God was so shaped and so close to God that he understood the heart of God better than I do better than many of us do. And I believe that's why Jesus tells us to persist in prayer. Because it shapes us to know God, to know what we can ask, to know what he is inclined to answer, to understand better his will for us and for the world. And ultimately, because the greatest gift that God gives is not some material good, but the greatest gift that God gives is actually a relationship with himself. The parallel passage to Matthew chapter 7 is interesting to me. It's in Luke chapter 11. And it reads just a little bit different from Matthew chapter 7. In Luke 11, Jesus says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I always find that interesting because here Jesus specifies what the good gift is. The good gift is actually the Spirit, the Spirit who lives inside those who know God and helps us to know him. Jesus says, if you ask, God will give you the one who will help you know him. And so that the best gift that God gives is a relationship with him. The best gifts of God are those that help us know him. I mentioned this earlier, but I don't remember a whole lot of the material gifts that I have received at Christmas or birthdays over the years. 
Uh, when I think back, there are only a few that I can remember distinctly, and it's usually because there was some sort of story attached to them. So I remember when I was, I don't know, seven or eight at Christmas, I received a stapler, and I don't know why I asked for one, uh, but I got it. And uh, it also happened to be one of the first years we had a little video camera recorder in the house, and my younger brother filmed me as I opened this stapler, and I just went insane with joy over this stapler. I'm just on the video going, it's a stapler, it's a stapler, look, mom, dad, it's a stapler, right? And so for years to come, every time I would almost be about to open a gift, my brothers would say, maybe it's a stapler, right? And they would (laughs) needle me about this. So I remember that gift because there's a story attached to it, but most of the presents that I've received, if I'm honest, I don't remember them. I forget them by the next year. I forget them within a month or two. But there are gifts that my parents gave that are not material, that I remember. I remember with my brothers and me wrestling with dad. I remember conversations with my mom and my dad and my brothers around the dinner table where we engaged with ideas, where we talked about each other's lives, where we were in each other's lives. I remember family vacations where we laughed and where we spent time together. I remember those gifts that involved giving of self. Because a great father doesn't just give a card once or twice a year or send a present or send money. A great father gives himself. A great mother gives of herself. God is a father who first and foremost wants to give us himself. He doesn't sit in heaven distant, sending words of encouragement or a card once every year or two. But he wants us to know him. And so he has lavished every spiritual blessing on us with open hands, the indwelling Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins. Look at just a few of the spiritual blessings that God has given us. Forgiveness of sin because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Romans 5, 15 to 17 talks about the free gift of justification. That is that freely because of what Jesus did, you and I are declared to be right with God. He said the free gift is not like the sin of Adam, right? Because the sin of Adam, through one man, sin spread to all of the world, but through the act of righteousness of one, Jesus, we have justification. Many have justification, all those who believe. And so God freely gives forgiveness of sin to those who ask. He freely gives eternal life. Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. God opens his hand and lavishes life, forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus was about to die and then rise and depart into heaven. He says, I won't leave you as orphans, but I will send the Holy Spirit who will teach you about me, who will teach you about the Father. The Holy Spirit and then adoption as sons. That the Spirit that lives within us reminds us we are children of God, And we have this spirit, as Paul says, that cries, Abba, Father, Daddy. God has brought us into his family through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is just, this is a very, very short list, and we could go on and on and on. But the greatest gift that God gives is the opportunity for us to know him. And so God is an unfailingly generous God, who even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our rebellion, wants us to know him. 
That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of heaven, right? And all of these things will be added to you. Worry first if you're going to worry about knowing God through Jesus Christ. And then trust that God will meet your needs materially and physically. The greatest gift God can give is himself. God loves to give good gifts. He loves to be asked. Greatest gift he can give is himself. As we wrap up, let me provide just a few practical ways to respond to God's generosity. First of all, praise God for his gifts. Ephesians 5.20 says, always giving thanks for everything. If you have something good, like we said, God gave it to you. Make a list of those things that God has given in your life that are praiseworthy and good. Begin with a relationship with him because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and work from there. If you have a body that works, if you have a mind that works, if you are here on this earth and able to worship him, if you have a home, if you have a family, every good thing, praise God every day. The greatest antidote to discontent and bitterness is thanksgiving and praise. And so praise God for all of the gifts that he's given. Secondly, persist in prayer. And allow God to shape you in that process. If you have a family member who does not know Jesus and you desperately want them to know him, have you asked? If you feel distant from God or you want to know his word, have you asked and asked? Have you persisted in prayer so you can know his will and understand what it is he wants from you? Have you persisted in prayer to give him the opportunity to open his hands and give generously? Persist in prayer even when it's hard. And then thirdly, trust his goodness. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do not buy the lie that we often hear that God is not good, that God is not generous, that God is waiting to hurt. God wants to open his hands and give us good gifts first and foremost himself. And so every moment, every second, we can trust his goodness, remind ourselves of his goodness, go back to the list of the good gifts he has given and pray we'd continue to know him, continue to pray for his generosity as we seek his will. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you want to know us and that in your kindness and generosity you have so graciously given us the greatest gift of all, which is a relationship with you through Jesus. That you didn't withhold even your precious son, but gave him to us to restore us while we were yet sinners so we can know you. Father, forgive us for believing the lie that you are not good and train our hearts and our minds to approach you in dependency and humility and trust knowing that you are. You are a generous father. And so we thank you. I pray as we go out that we would be ambassadors who speak and sing and tell others of that generosity and goodness through Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus and in the power of your spirit. Amen. Graduating seniors, don't forget to grab one of the packets on your way out. Hope you have a wonderful week. God bless you.